Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. We got a lot of eco data today and... Um you know, it kind of calls into question the, you know, the strength of the consumer a little bit, the concerns about inflation out there and how that's going to impact uh, this economy, particularly in the first half of this year. Let's bring in David Riley. He's the chief investment strategist for Blue Bay Asset Management. David, thanks so much for joining us here. Again, we got some of those uh, that eco data today, uh, particularly as it relates to retail sales, really weaker than expected. How did you take that data does that impact kind of your view of how this economy and these markets will perform in uh, in 2022? No, I don't think uh, a, a single month retail sales number is really going to kind of alter that uh, view in a way that we're constructing portfolios. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that retail sales number was very, very um, ugly. And you know, I think it is a, you know, would be a source of concern if we saw you know, more uh, prints like that and evidence that, you know, higher inflation, um, you know, concerns around the outlook were starting to have an impact on confidence about the consumer. But one of the things for this year, remember, is that, you know, 2021, it was all about demand for goods. It was all about demand for stuff that you, you know, delivered in a box and, and tangibles. Um, and, you know, we've seen that with retail sales being well above their pre-pandemic um, trend. So, I mean, I have been expecting that we'll see some rotation um, out of goods demand, out of retail sales into um, services. Um, I'm not saying that's why we had this particular week uh, number uh, just reported, but, I, you know, that's a kind of one of the trends which I think is going to be a feature um, through 2022. And, and that has implications as to how, you you know, you, you, you're looking in terms of your, your credit picking as well. How does Omicron play into this? Because... Um, I can understand the, the uh, thesis. Uh, we bought all the goods we possibly could in the first year and a half of the pandemic. And now we want to get um, some experiences. Me and Paul, for example, want to take a cruise. But um, we're not going to, obviously, as the infection rate soars like this. So how does that play in? Well, it's clearly going to have a negative impact in the near term in terms of um, spending and, and clearly going to continue to weigh on things like, you know, uh, leisure and hospitality. Um, but the experience from South Africa, the experience, you know, from the UK, the experience from London, where I'm calling from today, um, is that you get this very dramatic uh, rise in cases, but then it actually comes off pretty relatively quickly as, as well. And I think, you know, thankfully, Omicron does seem to be much less dangerous from a health perspective. And so I actually think that Omicron will, will you know, kind of mark the transition, if you like, for COVID from, from being a pandemic to becoming endemic. So we kind of learn to live with it and we get on with our lives. So given that backdrop, David, what are the conversations you're having with your clients now as it relates to kind of that where the opportunities might be here in 2022? Yeah, I mean, you know, when thinking about in constructing our fixed income and, and credit portfolios, I, I try and kind of keep it pretty simple. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're in a, uh, a rising rate environment. Um, I do think the economy is doing you know, reasonably uh, well and default risk is very low. So 
that makes it, you know, keep it simple. Basically, you favor credit over interest rate risk. And there's a lot of opportunities in um, credit and particularly floating rate um, uh, credit. There's some, you know, one and a half trillion dollars worth um, on some estimates of CLOs, leveraged loans, you know, RMBS and other kind of securitized credit. So I do actually think, you know, it makes sense to increase your exposure to uh, floating rate instruments and particularly to floating rate credit. You can pick up, you know, quite a decent carry, um, you know, sort of 350 basis points over for a triple B rated um, uh, CLO tranche. So that's certainly one of the things that we've been reflecting in uh, some of our credit portfolios. And then also look at some of those sectors which we think will benefit from, um, you know, higher rates. So again, financials, uh, European subordinated debt, we think there's still some value um, to be had there. I think the one area where Still pretty cautious on, but I think could be interesting in the latter part of the year would actually be uh, emerging market assets, you know, that meaningfully underperformed last year. Um, So there's a lot of risk premium built into emerging market assets. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, chatting with you, getting your thoughts here on these markets, on the eco data we had today. David Riley, Chief Investment Strategist for Blue Bay Asset Management. Let's go uh, right now to J.J. Kinahan. Yeah. Should we directly? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is our TD second Ameritrade Canadian bank of the day. Chief market about. strategist. You, well, I feel they're American because of the name, but I know the TD stands for Toronto, Toronto Dominion. Dominion. Yeah. Um, and J.J. Kinahan uh, joins us right now to talk about what's going on in uh, in the market of, I guess, what what's your main client, J.J.? Well, our main client, well, first of all, you hit it on the head, and uh, thanks for having me, guys. And it is an American company, and we are actually owned by Charles Schwab now. Oh, but, that's right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, if you say what's our average client, I would say, you know, what's, what's the uh, Main Street American in terms of the fact that uh, it's just average people. And I would say the biggest thing about our client base over the last couple of years is, I think, with the entire industry, is our client base has gotten younger over the last two years. So I think that's probably the best thing. If you want to say what's the great effect of COVID, the great effect of COVID is more people took an interest in the market than ever. And what I are think the, that that is great. Yeah, and what are they asking you now, JJ? We're, we're, we're going into year three of this pandemic. The economic disruption's been uh, historical. What are they asking you now? Well, I think the biggest question for our clients is really the biggest question for the market, right? And that's what is going to happen with interest rates. As we know, um, you know, the the COVID variants kind of come and go, if you will, in shorter terms. But I think everybody trying to figure out what's going to happen in interest rates overall is the thing that's truly driving the markets. And, you know, some clients this morning are saying, well, hold on. J.P. Morgan had a record, a record year. Yes, a bad quarter, but a record year. We expect earnings to be, uh, or interest rates to go higher throughout the year. Yet J.P. Morgan is uh, getting, you know, kind of slapped today. So uh, I, I think that things like that are a little bit confusing. If the market is supposed to be forward-looking, how is it that J.P. Morgan is, you know, eight percent lower as we speak? So it's, uh, you know, these kind of conundrums, I think, are, are very difficult for people to sort of get their arms around. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting, the point you make about the, how do you say this, the, the youthening 
of your client. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how long it's been since that generation was interested. And it bodes well for the future of markets, right? Because now um, the kids are in it to win it for the next few decades. Um the previous generation or the one before that probably didn't get involved until they were 30s, in their 30s or in their 40s. Um, and then they had to had to give way too much gas and risk missing a curve. But these kids are probably going to set themselves up well for the future. Absolutely. And you want to know the biggest thing I love is that our use of our education, you know, we, we build a lot of our business on education has gone up in a almost direct correlation and actually as trading as you guys know reporting on it every day has softened a bit from its peak obviously uh you know in in the spring of last year our education numbers haven't come down as much in that correlation so i think what you're really starting to see is people who not only are involved for the first time but as you said you know in it to win it in it for the longer term and trying to figure out what everything means you know how do i use how do right. i use technical patterns for uh finding out the uh value of stocks going forward how do i use options in a smart way in my portfolio so i think that that's really been the best trend we've seen all right jj thank you so much for joining us uh we're gonna have you back on again soon jj kinahan Chief Market Strategist for TD Ameritrade, uh, giving us his thoughts on these markets. Bloomberg Markets Today, it's brought to you by Commonwealth, supporting more than 2,000 independent financial advisors with the solutions they need to grow a thriving business. Commonwealth, go where you grow. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, Matt, I recently sold my house, and like the day or two after we actually came to an agreement, the buyer said, can I come in with my entertainment consultant because they wanted to do a wireless audio video security the whole thing and apparently they had a consultant do that for them so I, you know i had cable tv i thought i was uh, okay but let's check in with that business because that is a big business brett moyer ceo president chairman of summit wireless technologies Brett, what are people doing to their homes now in terms of home entertainment? It's not just a big screen and a cable box, is it? Not at all. It's pretty fascinating, actually. If you um, look at just the consumer trends over the last 10 years, it was big screen, right? Then higher resolution, 2K, 4K, 8K. And at this point, you're able to, for a couple grand, buy a 77-inch TV, right? It looks spectacular. So... The trend you see now is how do you move audio into, into around that TV and how hard is it and how expensive is it and and how quickly can you set it up and do you need that consultant, right? That consultant's going to be several thousand dollars. Yeah, so, it, it all seems so confusing, and I wonder how do, how do you compete in a world where – you know, um, Apple and Google offer their products, which admittedly are low quality sound, but you can get a little better performance out of something like Sonos and it's just super easy to right. operate. What are, are you pitching to a different field here? I mean, what, what are we talking about? Actually, we're not in a lot of ways. Now, there is one difference. If you want to stream music around your house, I mean, Sonos, Apple, um, Amazon, all those Wi-Fi speakers can do that. But if you want to create that immersive audio experience, not simulate it, but really have it, then 
our technology with the Weiss Association actually gives the consumer a very simple way to do that. And if you think of it, the beauty of the sound bar is two things. It sounds a lot better than your TV, and you just got to plug it in to the wall and plug it into the HDMI port, right? When you look at the WISA technology that we market, the same thing, you can get a complete immersive home theater system, and it's the same two step up, steps, right? You plug it, you plug a transmitter into the TV, and you plug your speakers into a wall outlet. You don't need a consultant. You don't need an installer. You don't have to pull wires through the wall or uh, through the attic or under the house. It's all wireless. And so our specialty is making sure up to eight speakers are all synchronized with together and with that video. That video now is great. These smart TVs are great. And there's so much content being streamed. Yet it all gets shoved into TV speakers or little sound bars. So WISA, so, by the way, is the Wireless Speaker and Audio Association, I guess. And um, so you guys make some high-end products like a uh, um, DAC board or you make a 30-watt amp it looks like um i'm going through your website and, and looking at this stuff but you put this well, into yeah. what well, part partner products for consumer yeah exactly so we make the wireless chip and modules that transmits to all the speakers but when you look at speakers you can buy a 5.1 system for 7.99 from platinum audio mm. or you can buy a eighty thousand dollar stereo system from bang and olsen and every price point in between. So the consumer chooses a price point, but, but WISA enables the simplicity of setup and that spectacularly immersive sound. Now oh, the Bayo Lab stuff. Oh, and you know what I was going to say? What? When I was a kid, the, the pinnacle was you got like a Klipsch reference system hooked up to a nice preamp and an amplifier. You guys yeah. uh, can work with Klipsch as well. We do. They've, they've got a speakers designed with our products in them, uh, but you just don't need that preamp anymore. You don't need that AV receiver. You plug a little um, – Weiss does sell one product itself, right. which is a, a universal transmitter. It won the CES Audio Peripheral Product of 2022. Nice. Uh, top product, right, which is great. But you just plug that little transmitter into your HDMI port on the TV, and it'll connect All to right. every Weiss speaker in that room. Don't All right. Brett, fascinating stuff, and I know Matt was taking notes because he's about to move into the compound in Westchester. Brett Moyer, CEO, President, and Chairman of Summit Wireless Technologies. That's a publicly traded company, uh, WISA. We have uh, an interview I'm excited about right now with Erica Brinker. She is the Chief Marketing Officer and Head of ESG at Array. Uh, sorry, Chief commercial officer. Uh, she was the CMO at Honeywell. Um, she's the CCO, I guess, at Array Technology. And um, this is quite cool because they uh, install trackers that tilt solar panels throughout the day in order to maximize energy output as we're all looking to do something to reduce our carbon footprint, even me. Really? Well, you know, I want 
I want a Mustang GT500, but I also want an electric car to balance okay, that right. out. I, I, and I'd love to power that with solar, so I don't have to feel uh, as guilty about it. Let's bring her in. Erica Brinker uh, joins us now. Um, talk to us, Erica, first of all, about what you're doing at Array Technology and how customers can get hold of, uh, of your products. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Array Technologies has been around for 30 years, which in the solar universe is quite a long time. Um, our founder, Ron Corio, was a real trailblazer in the area of solar. And so, as you mentioned, um, I was impressed with your knowledge. Yes, we're a tracker uh, manufacturer and technology company. There's also a software component that helps track and measure how much productivity is coming through the modules. And um, we we basically are helping uh, utility scale either solar customers or their those asset owners, the long-term asset owners, get the most out of their solar site. So in terms of like who our target market is, um, we love to hear that people are doing residential solar, but that's, that's not what we do. We're doing utility scale solar. So when you think about your major utility companies that are diversifying their portfolio into more renewables, that's who our customers are. So Erica, give us a sense of kind of where the energy industry writ large is here in the United States in terms of solar. So when you talk to those commercial customers of yours, what, what percentage of their you know, energy is solar versus maybe some traditional sources? I mean, solar is still very fledgling, right? We know that the U.S. market in particular, um, the Biden administration has announced their intent to reach 45% solar by 2050. Um, this is, you know, a huge commitment since that, that sits well below 10% at this point. So what you really need is this massive investment in utility-scale solar. And, and when you think about solar versus hydrogen or nuclear or wind, um, we are the quickest to come online from the time that you start a solar site. And we are the most, um, le I'd say, least disrupted. So the sun is always shining in the, in the sites um, where we are, are, are putting them you don't have a lot of, especially with our product, which is, you know, largely sourced in the U.S., um, you have a lot of um, productivity and reliability of the product. So in terms of uh, utility companies looking to diversify, solar is kind of what I would call a safer bet for them to, to diversify beyond fossil fuels. What happened, Erica, to the stock in May? I, I look at the chart and I see, you know, May 11th, May 12th, all of a sudden there's like a 28% drop. Um, and you had such a, a fantastic first few hundred days of trading after the IPO. Yeah, I, so I think there's a couple of things um, at work here. Currently, we have some headwinds, right? You have this commodities uh, challenge with uh, steel and aluminum. And so there's a lot of volatility, particularly in the U.S. around around those two uh, materials. And then you, we have continued logistics challenges. And so what we're doing for our customers so that we can hold price for them is we've completely changed our quoting process so that we are less vulnerable and our customers are less vulnerable to um, those swings and commodities and, and the logistics challenges. We've also diversified our supply chain so that uh, we are making our trackers closer to where they're delivering. And so that's really helped us um, create more stability uh, in the pricing models for our customers. Um, you know, all that said, with all of these fluctuations and with steel and aluminum being more expensive than they were, say, even when we IPO'd a year and a half ago, um, 
we are not seeing any demand slow down for solar. And in fact, you know, we were delivered a little bit of a blow with build back that are not passing yet. Um, but again, we don't hear from any of our customers that they're not building their sites because they're waiting for this bill. There's just a huge demand for solar and we have our biggest book of business this year than we've had in our history. So um, despite these challenges in the market, I think you're going to see solar make a really big comeback. Actually, I wanted to ask also about your career path, because I think it's interesting for yeah. a lot of people who, you know, have one act and then think about ESG and their impact on the planet and want to have act two. How do they make that change? Uh, coming from Honeywell makes perfect sense at Array. But before that, you had um, leadership roles at Ralph Lauren, at Tiffany, at Kate Spade, which is an entirely different industry, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So how did you make that jump? What, what pushed you and how did you do it? I, I, first of all, I'm impressed with the homework that you did. Um, most people don't go that far back to find out what I was doing before. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of, as you get further in your career, you want to do things that give you a sense of fulfillment. And Certainly, Honeywell opened my eyes to what's possible when you make great technology, life-changing technology. And so um, when I made the step over to Array, it was something that was very personal to me. Um, I have young children. I want them to grow up in a place that isn't impacted by global warming and climate change and, and doing something that's good for the world. So uh, we say doing well as a company while also doing good. That's something that was really attractive to me. And so... Um, the ESG component of my job is something that it, it's been a learning experience, understanding how much it's being embraced by the investment community, but also something that's just extremely personally fulfilling for me. I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of people right now, Erica. I think there are people out there who say like, all right, Ralph Lauren makes awesome clothes. Yep. Love the design, yep. but I want to do something for the world. I want to do something that means something to humanity. How do you make that leap? How do you convince David Cody to take you on? Well, you know, when, you're, when you talk about a function, if you're a finance person, if you're a marketing person like I was when I first started out, I, I think in all of our crafts and, and for what you do as well um, as a communicator, 90% of it is the skill set, 10% is learning the product. And so if you can demonstrate expertise in your craft, I think that if you're talented and the right cultural fit, you can apply that in any industry. Uh, it's just helping um, that next place picture you there. And so it might take a little bit of work or maybe you have to do something a bit extra. Right. Um, but I, I joined Honeywell in their aerospace business, and they were a bit yep. surprised to know that I was interested <laughs> too. But it ended, up be, it ended up being they wanted someone from outside the industry, right. and I wanted to get into the industry. So it just worked out. Erica, Very thank cool. you so Very much cool. for joining us. Really good stuff. Erica Brinker, head of ESG Array Technology, Chief Commercial Officer. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.